I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a look at music's effect on our everyday lives. This conversation is taking place on August 5 and is being released on August 11. And here in the U.S. right now, we are right in the thick of school district decisions about what the, quote, classroom is going to look like in the fall. Some school districts have already started their new school year. Others are starting soon. Some obviously have already made decisions about whether classes will be held only in person, only remotely, or a hybrid of the two. My school district here in Minnesota has not yet announced a final decision as of August 5, but it will be some form of a hybrid model, and they are also offering an online-only option for families who are wanting that. What we're talking about today is what is music education for K through 12 going to look like moving forward with this new non-traditional quote classroom that is going to look very different depending on what school district you're in and really the time of the year too, since any district's model could morph throughout the school year depending on a variety of factors. My guest today is David Jewell. David is the Partnerships and Alliances Manager for Yamaha Corporation of America. In this role, he has lobbied for music education in Washington, D.C. for the last eight years. He is involved in leadership with the Music Trade Association, NAM, as well as many other educational and philanthropic initiatives. David holds a bachelor degree in marketing and management from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a master's in percussion performance from Louisiana Tech University. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, David. Well, Mindy, thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's a privilege to be on this podcast with you today. Thank you. First off, I understand you're originally from Green Bay, so I want to thank you for agreeing to talk to me, even though I live in the (laughs) land of the Vikings. (laughs) I'm originally from Michigan, but there is some intense rivalry between Vikings and Packers fans. It's so I grew up five blocks from Lambeau Field. Okay. I was the kid that started the whole bike thing. If anybody's a Packer fan about the kids with the bicycles and going from the practice facility, going from the locker room down the practice facility, I was one of the first kids and I'm not aware of that to do that. So kind of an interesting thing. And I actually I'm a still a season ticket holder. I live out here in California. And I am a season ticket holder to the Packers. Are you really? My dad, yeah, my dad got the tickets in around 1967. And oh. before he passed away, you could will them to your, you know, up to a cousin or something like that. So he willed them to me. So I've had them for about oh. 15 years and live out here. And my wife uh, is a Packer fan and both my kids are Packer fans. And oh. we've been back to a couple games. So it's great. Oh, yeah. wow. How many of the games do you typically get back to in a year? Usually one a year, and I have still have family in Green Bay and Milwaukee area, so I first check with the family to see if they need any tickets, and then from there, I'll, we'll go back to a game, or then I'll usually sell them on StubHub, but okay. this year, because of COVID, I did opt out just because it was just a little bit too hectic to try to uh-huh. travel and get back for a game, so I did opt sure. out this year, so. Okay. Boy, well, yeah. I really, knowing what a Packer, Packers fan you are, boy, I really feel fortunate that you came on this uh, Minnesota podcast today. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Midwestern, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Dave, you were involved in the NAM Advocacy Summit in June, and a quote of yours from that event really caught my eye. You said, 
It is important to keep music at the forefront in the, quote, new normal. If you're not at the table, you are on the menu. One person can make a big difference. Take that step and be at the table. As you have your finger on the pulse of what is happening with these new school classroom scenarios, what are some trends you're seeing in what's happening with K-12 through music education? Well, first of all, Mindy, as you know, it's, it's different throughout the country as every state is adapting different ways of doing it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Bob Morrison, who does the, the Data Arts Project, and he is leading up some stuff in New Jersey, and they're really for forward thinking on how to go back to school, and they've got created a great document to 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 do that. Um, when we're in California, I'm on the creative council for the Anaheim Elementary School District, and they were going to do, like a lot of schools, we're going to do a hybrid um, half the kids were going to come on Monday and Wednesday, the other half on Tuesday and Thursday. And then for all the kids that did not, and the families that did not want to send the kids there, they were going to open up a 24th elementary school as a virtual school mm-hmm. only. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a call with them a couple weeks ago, and unfortunately they voted just because of the way the situation is here in California to go 100% virtual for the fall. That's the way LA Unified has also decided, and I think LA Unified might have said that for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is different. I just saw a picture. I think it was today from Georgia, where kids are back in back in school, attending classes. But it's different all the way around. I mean, all over the place. And I'm kind of hearing it from all different places. Mm-hmm. But it's a cha- It's a challenge. Um, and one of the challenges, it, because of the limited, as Mary Grace, the assistant superintendent, said for the Anaheim Elementary School District, the challenge, David, she said to me, was that the kids have limited seat time. As you notice, what's happening is that they're not in school as long with all the new guidelines coming up. They're not in school as long as what they have been in the past. That going from a maybe an 8 to 3.30 day, it's going from 8 to 2 o'clock or mm different plans. So the challenge is is kids are not going to be at school as long and maybe they're alternating days like what Anaheim Elementary initially proposed. Mm -hmm. So, Well, when schools first kind of were affected by COVID here in the United States, say mid-March is when it hit us, Yeah, it seemed like from them, then through the rest of the school year, there were certain aspects of school that people were just kind of punting on, like, let's just get through this and get as much out of it as we can. But let's just sort of make it to the end of the school year. Now we're realizing that that model of distance learning isn't totally over. And as schools are getting back to either a hybrid or a distance learning model, are you seeing any trends and what they're how they're handling music education? Or is it really just all over the place? It's really all over the place, but I got to go back to Anaheim Elementary. They've done a great job of modules and basically Zoom meetings that really address a lot of the music education aspects for their students. But man, Mindy, it's it's a challenge. And everybody, again, like every state is addressing COVID as far as opening up or shutting down. And it's there's no consistency across the board because we don't have anything, uh, you know, anything from the federal government as far mm-hmm. as guidelines for 
each state, every state is doing it differently. So it's going to be a challenge, uh, no doubt about it. And okay. I, I all that's all I can really say is that it's just really going to be a challenge. But everybody is going, they're adapting, they're doing lessons online, they're doing all kinds of what they can. But you hear about the Zoom burnout, you know, kids are yeah. online forever and ever. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I don't want to look at a screen anymore. Kids and adults. I don't want to. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely. I mean, that's why everybody, you know, you can't buy a bicycle. You can't go into a bike shop right. and buy a bicycle or whatever. So people are getting on. But yeah, it's, it is really a challenging, challenging time for a music educator. And even though ESSA, which was the new the the Public School Education Act that is for K through 12, which we're talking about, which was signed in the law in December of 2015, but became in effect the following school year. With that, it, it you know it says every child's entitled to a well-rounded education, and as part of that well-rounded education, music and arts are part of it of an essential learning for a child. Mm-hmm. The problem is is that a lot of administrators and superintendents and principals don't know that language is in the bill and still almost think that music and arts is an alternative that maybe it's a good to do type of thing, but actually it's not. It's mm-hmm. in the law. It's an essential. So that's the, you know, when I talked about that advocacy thing is just getting out and educating the music teacher, the superintendent, the principal that say, hey, stop, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Music and arts are a core, core essential part of a child's education mm-hmm. how are we going to incorporate that and that's the issue of being at the table because if you're not like i said you're on the menu mm-hmm. because music is not going to be at the forefront mm-hmm. you have to be in those discussions and that's kind of the stuff we're doing as far as presenting on different aspects of that to get music educators to really to step up and voice the importance of a music education especially for kids coming back in the social emotional aspect of children returning to class i think i think it's essential Mm. but it's not being seen like that yeah well talk to us a little bit more about some of that social emotional learning and its relationship to music and i guess the why of why music should be kept at the forefront well you and i are musicians we know the impact that music has on, on a child. And there are studies after study after study that if music is part of a child's well-rounded education, all subject matters they improve in, truancy goes down, engagement with the school, everything as far as kids getting in trouble goes way down on that. So it's a really, you, you and I again know that it's a very important part of a child's education to be part of that. But it's just getting all that information through to the stakeholders is the challenge mm-hmm. um, on that. We, we've done an advocacy, um, a reach out to our senators to advocate to make sure that music is part of that social-emotional learning. And we just got a letter back from Kamala Harris, who is a senator mm-hmm. for Ca- California, and one of my associates did. I sent an email to her. And my and my associate did, and she got a response. I didn't, and it was around making music at the forefront of a child coming back uh, as far as their learning because it's so essential for the social emotional impact on a student. And her letter was a very boilerplate just about the importance of music education. Didn't address the anything about music being part of that child coming back. Mm. So 
again, it's a, it's a challenge on on that part. Big time. Yeah. Well, you preface that information there by saying you and I are both in the world of music. And I think that's one of the challenges that sometimes we face as people who are in the world of music is there's this curse of knowledge concept that yes. was, it was popular, popularized by Chip and Dan Heath in their book Made to Stick. But it's this idea that you just assume other people know what you know. And we who have grown up with music and are immersed in music and are in this music world just assume that other people understand the benefits of music education and how it does contribute to social emotional learning and improved skills and scores and other subjects and on and on. And sometimes we just assume everyone else understands that. I mean, there's so much data, Mindy, on that out there. NAM, you you mentioned NAM, the association, tons of data. And I've been to, have you heard of Turnaround Arts Program? Yes, actually, I heard about that from our mutual acquaintance, Al Hagar at Music. Yeah. Yep. And so I've been in a couple of those schools because when we do the fly-in every year in D.C., we always go to usually a turnaround arts program or school in the D.C. area. And when they introduce a music teacher and an art teacher in those schools within a year and a half, two years, I think on average it's like 15 to 20 percent the overall GPA is improved by every student Mm. on that. So, again, it makes an impact. It's not because I'm in the music industry. It's, I believe, wholeheartedly with me growing up, my kids grew up in music, that it makes a huge impact. I mean, mm-hmm. my son is was or is a talented musician, incredible singer, singing the Star Spangled Banner, you know, a cappella before 10,000 people for a 4th of July mm-hmm. event, not even flinching oh. and killing it. But he's a mechanical engineer working for Eaton. Mm-hmm. And it was that being in music and the collaboration and the working and everything that that really helped him get the job where he is and doing the role he is as a mechanical engineer, Mm. kind of thinking outside the box. Yeah. So, yeah. When we talk about K through 12 music education going forward, are you seeing very many extremes on either side, whether it's the extreme of dropping music and sort of putting themselves on the menu to use your terminology or on the opposite and music programs, music teachers within K through 12 schools who are really coming up with innovative ways to educate remotely? Yes. Again, I, I go to, the Anaheim Elementary School District is doing some really innovative ways to teach remotely. I got to call out the New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, and what they've gotten on the forefront as far as out there for music educators to be at front and center for kids returning to school. But then we've seen on the other side, gosh, Mindy, I'm trying to remember what state it was, and it was maybe Georgia, but they tentatively, about a month ago, the Department of Education for that state was saying PE and music classes would be eliminated for this next entire school year. And we're like, wait a second, (laughs) time out. So yes, to your point, I have seen extremes from one extreme to the other, people really adapting and getting online, the online thing down, as opposed to people just throwing up their hands and going, 
you know what? It's not for us this year. We're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of so, the challenges with the online learning, I teach private piano lessons, and I've been pleasantly surprised with how well it's gone transitioning to teaching over FaceTime and doing mm-hmm. that virtually. But when you have a group, whether it's band or orchestra or choir, that's a whole different situation. And we have had some marvelous examples of innovation with like Eric Whitaker and the Sing Gently virtual choir, which is so inspiring with over a thousand singers from over a hundred different countries. But that takes, you know, just weeks of of editing and piecing all oh, those together it's it's not like you can work with a first grade it, choir group that way um, i mean did you did you i mean i've i've seen that as well and you see his interview at the end of that you know they said well are you hoping for more people you know that would <laughs> right. do this next time and he's <laughs> like not really because we have to go through and listen to everybody's part yes. and edit it and i'm like oh my gosh yeah <laughs> You have to do Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I was asked to be part of that, but I'm not a singer. I'm a you know, that's not my forte and so I, I declined, but I would have been one of those ones on the editing floor, I'm sure. Sure. So. Sure. Well, and we just had a high school graduation here at our school. We have my daughter is a senior. She just graduated and our school district did a wonderful job of giving the best possible COVID ceremony that they could have. It was very meaningful and special. They ended up doing waves of nine different ceremonies throughout the day, one right after another. And in that way, it was smaller groups and so forth. But they did have some of the school music groups play Pomp and Circumstance and so forth. And they had it all recorded ahead of time. And it looked like that had been recorded individually and kind of pieced together, which I was really impressed that they even did that. But you know, that's that's a lot of work and a lot of technical know-how that goes into it. Can you tell us a little bit more about what some of these school districts are doing, whether it's Anaheim or schools in New Jersey, that are especially innovative in terms of how to kind of keep this music education going in a virtual setting? Well, the challenge of that, Mindy, and I, matter of fact, I had a conversation with... Um, an organization, Able Arts Works here in Long Beach, and they do um, ther- music therapy and art therapy for the severely um, mentally challenged adults because in the state of California, after the age of 22, I think services are done. And mm. Helen started this nonprofit 38 years ago on that. And the problem with the online thing and doing this together as a group is the latency factor. Yeah. Um, and there is not really a solution of that yet now you can like what eric you know whitaker did where people sent in their track and then they synced them up and Mm -hmm. and did that but to do an ensemble live online to where you can do it i mean if i clap somebody would be hearing that clap about a second later right on that and trying to be in sync so everybody's trying to to scramble and try to get around that to do that so doing a live ensemble together is nobody's done that yet that I know of Mm -hmm. and gotten that just because of the latency, but you can do your parts and then sync it together and have it all come off. Yes. Uh Now some schools are going to where they're doing, you know, just chamber ensembles where it's just a 
a smaller amount because you can't, like you said, have a concert band or have a choir because there's too many kids, too many that are close together. So they're actually offering maybe like a chamber ensemble where it's smaller amount of kids in that classroom to do performing. And maybe some kids are in one room and some are in the other. But the technology part is still everybody trying to get their hand around it and getting it so quickly to really understand it and make it work effectively. That's a, it's a huge challenge. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of am curious to see if any music teachers really turn the whole concept of music education on its head, so to speak, in terms of, hey, we don't have a normal classroom where we can do our normal thing. So we're going to do something completely different. And what we're going to do is have the older kids, part of their music education is to one-on-one teach virtually some of the younger kids, because you do really fully understand concepts more when you have to explain them to someone else. Yeah, And there's a lot of different skills that students can learn. And yeah, maybe it's not what we ideally wanted, but I think about a student of mine, a high school piano student and her mom contacted me recently and said you know so and so just got a job at the you know the local frozen yogurt place and she told me after the interview that she said mom it was actually really helpful in my interview to have been doing these distance piano lessons with Mindy because it just it forces her to articulate things and verbalize things because you can't just point, you know. And I thought, boy, I never would have thought about that as being a side benefit of doing virtual piano lessons, but it made sense. And I'm just wondering what other ways like that we can educate students in different ways and have them learn different skills and still be learning about music and still be not just gaining knowledge, but learning how to learn. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting point that you mentioned about seniors teaching freshmen or whatever. I had not really heard anybody coming to try to present that or get that. I think it's a a great idea to do that. And like you said, when you're teaching the subject, it really gets a little bit more ingrained in what you're teaching Mm -hmm. because you have to be more, I mean, really on top of it. Uh But, But I haven't heard of anything else out there that's being worked on again i'm not like i've said i'm not a music educator but we do speak to a lot of them Uh um through different events and conferences and stuff but right now i haven't i think i think everybody is still a lot of people are still trying to figure out what it's going to look like because they haven't been giving any guidance on are we going back are we not Mm -hmm. is it going to be virtual is it going to be a hybrid that they really can't plan yet what to do and some of those are just coming out right now so that's again a challenge for that i've seen for a lot of the educators Mm -hmm. on that and that's why anaheim elementary for example two weeks ago said we're going completely virtual and just put their foot down and they had everybody vote on it and that's the way it was so we were kind of talking about the why and how music should be kept at the forefront when if we look at the how any uh, advice or suggestions from you or anything you're seeing other districts do that you recommend to listeners? Wow. Um, I wish I had a great answer for you on this, Mindy, and I, I don't. That's a tough one. It's just, I mean, everybody just has to kind of do best practices and see how they can work with things. I mean, the, the concept of 
um, the modern band has been something that maybe people are adapting more. And I'm sure you're familiar with that with Little Kids Rock. That was a program that they've adapted and they're bringing out the schools and adapting. And I have heard more schools going that way because it's a smaller ensemble mm-hmm. working at it. But no, I mean, it's just it's it's perfecting the online learning. And I haven't had anybody that really has heard of really the this is the way we have to do it. And this is the best example. I wish I could share that with educators, but I I don't have that golden ticket for okay. you right at the moment. Sure. Well, if you hear about things, I'd love to have you just shoot it over to me on email and I can update the yeah. show notes too with some of the different ideas that school districts are doing to be innovative and make the best of the situation that we're in, the cards that we're dealt. <laughs> yeah, I would recommend one thing because our we have a what's called a vertical division and we have one of their pillars is music education and we have a site that's called yamaha educator suite like s-u-i-t-e and that is a plethora of knowledgeable stuff as far as keeping kids involved and a lot of it is transitioning for the covid situation and a lot of it's had to change title for funding and how you apply and what's going on with that but i would advise people to kind of monitor and check that out because That is being updated all the time with relevant content. Okay. Any other action steps that you recommend for listeners, whether they're parents or school teachers and administrators? Well, as far as with the COVID type stuff in regard to that? Uh, Yeah, keeping music at the forefront of education, moving forward with this new learning model that we're all kind of working with. You know, one of the things that I would recommend is is to go to, it's called artseddata.org, and that is the project for that Bob Morrison uh, has spearheaded, and he is one of the leads in New Jersey. But this project is incredible as far as looking at data and the, the schools that have music as part of the, their curriculum, dance, theater, and the arts, and it really, it breaks it down to districts, schools, states, everything, you can go into this and find a plethora of knowledge. And for people that are advocating for music education in the class, go and look at your state and look at districts that maybe are really successful districts and look at how much music has been part of the district because the numbers are right there. It's 47% of the kids are participating in music, maybe 60%. And the school's thriving graduation rates is very high and you look at maybe the school your child's in and the music participation rate is 30 percent and the graduation rate is much lower at that school right there is a great thing that the parents and educators can use as what's called a needs assessment to really go into the school administrators to say hey we really have to push to make sure music and arts are at the forefront of our child's education okay so well, I'll include links, of course, in the show notes to Yamaha and Yamaha's educator suite that you're talking about. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Do you have a song or a story you can share with us today in closing? Yes, I do. A little, a couple things. So doing these NAM fly-ins and doing that for the last eight years and going to Washington, D.C. 
And one of the cool things about being a U.S. citizen is that we have the God-given right to be able to speak to our legislators or congressmen and congresswomen to go there and speak to them. I mean, they have to listen to us. And until I started going to Washington, D.C. and doing that, I didn't realize, again, the importance of what one person can have. So in attending those, we would have, after we would be at the Hill all day, there was a like an after party and be able to perform. And I've been asked to perform a couple times there where this, the U S Capitol is behind me and I'm on the rooftop of Nelson Mullen building. And I've played with Keb Moe and Bernie Williams up on there. Mm-hmm. But one of the, one of the highlights was I, I played in the 10 piece horn band for a long time in Arizona called the groove merchants. And it was very much a tower of power tight band so we did a lot of james brown and stuff and uh james brown's daughter was at one of the fly-ins god dina i think kill me i don't remember her first name but (laughs) she was there james brown's daughter and the band is playing and i'm saying to myself you know what if i don't go over there and ask her to dance i will kick myself (laughs) in the butt if I don't do that, so I went over and asked her, I said, hey, will you dance with me? And she was very, said, of course, you know, came over. So one, it wasn't quite the musical experience, but it was up there that I danced with James Brown's daughter. Oh, so. oh that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, David, for sharing with us today and for all you do to enhance lives with music. I really think that this hybrid and distance learning situation could be a great opportunity for school music programs to do something completely outside the box. Rather than trying to shoehorn the, quote, way things always have been done into current restrictions and technology limitations, I think it would be the perfect time to do something fresh and new that takes advantage of all that technology has to offer. That could involve assigning students to create an instructional video on YouTube on how to clean a flute or creating a soundtrack of my life project. I recently ran across this on Alfred Music's website. I'll include a link in the show notes. It could be to research a contemporary composer or artist who is alive now and connect with them through email, maybe even interview them or create their own synchronized band or choir or orchestra piece with a small group, kind of a scaled down version of Eric Whitaker's virtual choir concept. There are so many world-class musical performances that are available right now to stream online, often for free. Students could be assigned to watch one of these performances and write about it or research a music-related topic they are interested in, like the renewed popularity of vinyl albums. I think the new hybrid or remote music classroom could be really fun and refreshing for students and teachers. If you know of any school music teachers who have exciting creative ideas for music education outside the box for the school year, please let me know. I would love to hear about them. Personally, I was really intrigued by what David had to say about the social emotional benefits of music education and how they are more important than ever during these times of change and uncertainty. I have found a guest to talk with us about this topic later this month, so stay tuned for more information on that subject. 
As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me on social media, email, and my website. All links, including today's show notes, can be found at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 55. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.